Hello, Bitcoiners. Welcome back to the show. My name is Ansel Linder. This is Bitcoin and Markets. On this show, I keep you ahead of the curve in Bitcoin. We talk about the economics, the fundamentals, the macro, the tech. I dispel FUD and I dispel some FOMO because FOMO can be just as dangerous as FUD sometimes. You might notice the change in format for this week's show. I had a minor emergency this morning. My son pretty much ruined the living room carpet. So I am having to fix that today and I don't have time to release a full episode. But instead, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to release the audio from Wednesday night's live stream that I did with Patreon members. Um, this gives you a taste of what we do over there on Patreon. Um, but it also kind of suffices for the show for the week because I talk about price and news and other things. Um, the main thrust of the episode is a reaction to the Dan Held and Vinnie Lingham debate. I play some audio and then have my reaction to it. Of course, you can still get the free fundamentals report. That is our popular newsletter that comes out every Friday. It's jam-packed full of market commentary, uh, news items, links, and also my charts and other images from around Bitcoin. This is issue number 50, so we've done it for almost a, a full year every Friday without missing a week, and I've gotten some feedback that it is the densest newsletter in Bitcoin. Last but not least, I want to thank the sponsor for this episode, eToro. eToro is the world's leading social trading platform. It's a mix between social media and a trading platform. Um, you can follow people or get followed yourself, uh, build up a following. It's kind of like uh, a troll box on steroids. If you use my link in the show notes, You'll get a hundred thousand virtual dollars to use on their uh, virtual trading practice area, uh, so that's a pretty good deal. Check out eToro.com. Okay, let's jump into the episode. I'll see you guys on the flip side. What's up, guys? How you doing? Ansel Linder here, Bitcoin and Markets. We are going to do a live stream. This is for patrons, and you might see I actually have some new digs here. This is a specially made thing from Jeff, so thank you, Jeff, very much. I finally put it up. That's great. Um, and, you know, I just rearranged my little tiny desk studio here, so uh, hopefully... This works out good and we'll go from there so okay so today i wanted to talk about um this dan held and vinnie lingham quote-unquote debate uh, but before that i want to get into a little bit of news i just have a few stories there's one that's really breaking news um but I'm going to leave that to the end because I think I can whip through some of these a little bit faster. So you guys might have seen uh, this Germany, their economy is in decline now. Um, I believe it was negative 0.1% or something. So very tiny negative. But at the same time, like that is a big indicator of how Europe as a whole is going, right? Uh, Europe, uh, Germany is actually the slowest growing economy in Europe which is crazy, if you ask me. It's supposed to be the powerhouse of Europe. Uh, it ha does have the largest economy in Europe. So if they are uh, shrinking, that's a big deal. So this is a New York Times piece. Um, they're hurtling towards recession. And also growth in Chinese factory, factories was slowing. Uh, 
at a pace seen not seen in nearly two decades. And remember, Japan, or sorry, uh, Germany, and I always say Japan when I'm thinking of Germany, but uh, Germany and China, they're very closely linked. Uh, Germany has a lot of the heavy machinery industry as well as automobiles. But they have a lot of the like precision work, and when China is building up, they they needed a bunch of the earth movers, they needed a bunch of the uh, trucks and um, those types of things, and Mercedes and uh, some of the other companies were making a lot of money exporting to um, to China. So when China's slowing down, of course that's going to hurt Germany. But there, everything is interconnected, right? It's a tangled web what a tangled web we weave when um you know there there's globalization and china is this huge power or growing power and they have a little bit of trouble and it just cascades of course then germany is weighed down by all of their entangling alliances over there in the eu so it's it's not good of course trump has also been threatening tariffs against europe they have the brexit coming up um no deal Brexit, so kind of like cutting the cord, just letting the UK get out of there. And Italy, Italy's having problems. But even Italy is growing faster than Germany, believe it or not. <laughs> so, I mean, Germany seems to be in bad shape. So yeah, they're under stress from uh, Britain's chaotic attempts to leave the European Union, while tensions in the Persian Gulf have unnerved company executives about sales prospects in that important region. Um, as a result, they're reluctant to invest in new buildings or factory spaces in Germany. Uh, what else do I have? Germany's economic performance was the worst of any Eurozone country during the second quarter. Separate data from the European Union statistics agencies indicated even Italy, the economic laughingstock of the Eurozone, did slightly better than Germany. So pretty big deal there. Of course, that says a lot about the currency wars as well because of the euro and things of that nature. So uh, the euro is the second most, uh, I mean, second most liquid currency out there in the world. Okay, next piece of news is the SEC. They've had a busy week. Um, they came out first, I believe it was Monday here. They came out and talked about the SEC delaying decisions on th all three of the Bitcoin ETFs. There might be more, but these are the main three uh, big ones. And so final decisions on the two biggest uh, are expected by October 13th and 18th, respectively. A lot of people were saying this is big news, but I don't really think it is. I mean, it's been, I remember the day before my boy was born, two and a half years ago, was the day that the Winklevoss ETF got denied for the first time. So it's been two and a half years since we've been going through this. Uh, it's not a big deal to the market. Uh, I don't think it is at all. Uh, the last few days that the price has been tanking, I think has zero to do with this. I mean, Yes, it add, it does add something to the overall bearishness, but uh, I don't think this alone would have done anything. So, okay. Uh, also, the SEC guidance gives ammo to lawsuit claiming XRP is an unregistered security. This this was really funny. Um, of course, we all know that Ripple is completely 100% centralized. They have this, uh, what's called a UNL, and what is that? Um something node list can't remember what the u stands for 
but uh, something node list. And they uh, were, uh, or uh, the node list has, uh, those are the only people that can really advance the ledger forward. And of course, that is rip all Ripple nodes. So it, it's not only completely centralized from a supply standpoint, it is completely centralized from actual functional standpoint. Um, and it's it's just insanity that this hasn't uh, gotten more attention than it has from the governments. But uh, not that I want the governments to crack down on anybody. Of course I do not. But, you know, everybody has abdicated to the government. So um, in this kind of uh, where the, the population, the public has abdicated at this point, the only other option besides government is to continue, you know, not to do anything, um, which I guess would be okay. Uh, that's one reason why we have the Bitcoin toxic maximalists out there to kind of be the white blood cells for people. But we can't really inflict any sort of punishment. And and investors out there in Ripple, they they can't do that either because they have abdicated to the SEC. So unfortunately. Um, this is the way it's going to be. I mean, if I were to design a system, of course it would not be this way, but this is right now, uh, people are operating under the understanding that this is the way that it happens. Messed up as it is. Uh, <laughs> Jeff would probably have something to say to me about that. Anyway, um, so uh, yeah, the, the big thing is that it's a new it's a new filing or an updated amended filing. Um, and this is the first one where Ripple must directly respond by addressing the facts of the case. The four previous complaints were filed in California state court, but the company successfully moved to have these cases consolidated and shifted to federal court. Uh, so they've been playing a lot of uh, kick the can. They just let the Ripple price go down, so that's good, I guess. Um, okay, so the plaintiff's uh, complaint is uh, trying to tie the XRP ledger, the distributed network underlying XRP, and therefore the cryptocurrency's price back to Ripple. Over the course of the 11 pages, this is of the amended uh, filing. Uh, the amended complaint details show the plaintiffs believe XRP is a security based on the framework stating that XRP purchases made an investment of Purchasers made an investment of money in a common enterprise. XRP investors had a reasonable expectation of profits, and the success of XRP requires efforts of Ripple and others. That's a very important point at the very end. Uh, any profit uh, the pot uh, potential class might see are intertwined with the fortunes of Ripple. And then, of course, um, there's a lot more of use of social media as evidence in cases. I thought this was really interesting with uh, Bitcoin Twitter getting a shout out here. So uh, tweets as evidence. Um, Garlinghouse has been caught saying a lot of different things that uh, Ripple's own self-interest is tied up with the building and maintaining of a healthy XRP market. And there's several other quotes here that they pulled off of Twitter that really catch them. So it sucks. I would. I never invested in Ripple. I've known people that have, but uh, yeah, it's it sucks any way you look at it. Just don't invest in Ripple. If you have any, sell it. But my people watching this video aren't gonna be owning any Ripple. Okay, last thing is this big bombshell, which I believe has a lot to do with the price here. Um, well, let me check the chat before I do that because 
guys might be saying something. What's up, Kent? Made it in. Dan, Josh, Jeff, and CA Explorer. Thanks for joining, guys. Um, yeah, so some big news out there right we're about to cover here from Devi Wan. Uh, so if you guys have any questions or anything, let me know. Okay, so this one is uh, W1, if you guys don't know, she's connected inside of China. I don't know if she lives in China or Hong Kong. She lives somewhere over there, and um, she's pretty tightly connected with the Bitcoin scene. Um, so she dropped this about this Chinese Ponzi scheme that just got busted. And we've seen this over the years um, during different run-ups. We've seen, you know, of course, the BitConnect and the USI Tech, um, we saw uh, multiple different, uh, BitTrader was one from, I think it was 2014 or something. So there have been some along the way, and uh, they never are good, uh, of course, but they're never good for the price. Now, this one was particularly large. This Chinese Ponzi scheme had about 70,000 Bitcoins and uh, 800,000 Ethereum. And they have been arrested here. Um, she's saying that they don't. They were possibly multi-sig addresses, and only like this might have been like a I don't know a twenty-man operation, and and only six people are getting arrested here. So you know there there's a, this is a multi-sig where the cops can't get access to it, but the other conspirators can that are not arrested. So they have been dumping coins. Um, multiple people are talking about this. Multiple people were talking about these 500 Bitcoin cell walls and things over the last week or so. And this looks like it could very well be the source of it. Um, you guys can go through this. Of course, I'll put it in Discord so you can see that. But uh, yeah, 74,000 BTC, some, uh, 95,000 BTC in another address. So this looks like a gigantic Ponzi scheme that they're trying to sell. They're trying to sell and get out of it, at least some of it at this point. So that's interesting. What do you guys have to say about that? Did you see that earlier from W1? Yeah, Jeff. Uh, Vinny, I think, still has me blocked as well. But every once in a while, he actually... Um, uh, every once in a while, he'll unblock me, I think, to like respond to me, and then he'll block me again, which is crazy. Dan Parker, you said, um, nothing wrong with a Ponzi if you say it is. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think anything's wrong with a Ponzi either. There's several, maybe in China, it's it's actually seen as not respectable, but understandable. I know Russia, some of those kind of... Um, Asian countries, they have more open look at um, or feeling about Ponzi schemes. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's anything particularly bad as long as it's um, up front, right? You don't want to have any fraud involved, then, then that's bad. But if you outright say, this is a Ponzi scheme, we're going to continue to grow and you're getting in early, you know, you want to invest and don't worry, I'll tell you if anything's happening uh, fishy and, and you can sell before it crashes. Like that's just gambling. And so uh, that's, that's fine. I, I don't have a problem with it, but at the same time, you can see where this supply could be coming on the market. I mean, if I'm trying to 
this CA Explorer asks why is uh, it assumed that they'd sell? Um, there, there's been. Let me pull this up again. There's been some movement to different exchanges um, from these addresses. So uh, let me see if I can find that real quick. Okay, so um, figured out approximately a thousand have gone to Bittrex and Hubi or Huboy at this time, uh, and that is what they can figure out. That's not for sure, but they they have this uh, nice little pretty diagram of what they see is you know the blockchain stuff. So uh, it's interesting. They probably won't sell all of it, of course, but they'll probably sell some of it to at least uh, launder some of it and be able to use some of it. But who knows? What's up, Randy? How's it going? Okay, let's. That's my breaking news. Let's just talk about the price here real fast. So it did come down to this ten thousand, which I've been walk, watching for a long time, and I've been talking about it and posting charts about it in the trading chat room there in uh, Discord. Uh, I don't see it going up anytime soon. I mean, this bounce is very, very weak. And I said I was going to laugh out loud if it broke. Um, make sure this is coming through. Yeah, um, I said I was going to laugh out loud if it broke 10,000 again. And it just barely didn't. I think the low was, let's see, actually on BitMEX, yes, the low broke 10,000. It was 9913. <laughs> oh, man. All those people saying it's not going to break 10,000 again. But, uh, yeah, this is not a strong bounce. Um, one thing I, I see it could have a bounce is this this very, very low RSI down here, which is at its lowest level since we broke down from 6,000. Remember during the bear market when it was just flat and then it, it broke down right there? The, the four-hour RSI got this low. Um, but since then, it has not been at these levels so this is very very oversold and uh but there's still no bounce which is very interesting um if it does bounce i don't think it'll get all the way back up here to eleven thousand. It, it might get into the uh 10 6 to 10 8 area and then fall over again but it could just keep going i don't know i mean <laughs> last friday i said uh, I wasn't giving up on my 8500, but I thought it was very, very unlikely at that time. And now it looks like this 8500 could come about again. I mean, the price looks like it might be going down to the bottom of this channel once again. And that's fine. I mean, I, I stacked a few sats today and I it's a good time when, when you see something like this on the chart. Uh, that's always a good time to stack a few sats. But it's possible that it gets all the way down here to... 8500 i don't see it going below that but i mean oh i wanted to show you guys another thing so um i posted this in the trading thing also but if you go to the weekly chart on bitmex these this is on the actual crypto to 24-hour markets because on cme it uh this candle right here this uh big tall red wick right here on cme this candle closed way up here on CME, much, much higher because it closed on Friday where the 24-hour market week ends on Sunday. So some, by Sunday, it had fallen all the way back down here. And so we have this um, weird situation, bigger players like CME and their futures market uh, versus these uh, these spot markets. But you can see that this 
is very slightly upward sloping. So uh, you can check the prices. It's only by about $20. So it's technically higher. And BitMEX is the most liquid exchange. So uh, it is technically higher here. Um, and then if you look at the RSI, you have this humongous bear div down here. Um, but again, if you pull up CME, like let me pull up this, uh, let me pull up CME futures. You can see the candle structure is a little bit different here, and it's not, it's not a bear div. It's just it's going down. So um, this interesting. We'll have to see if it plays out. There's only two other um, bear divs that I found on the weekly, uh, going back to 2012. So, and they were both followed by a sharp pullback, but not a prolonged pullback. You guys can check out the, the trading chat room there, and I posted some of that yesterday. Okay, uh, going through some of the charts, I don't know if you guys are too interested in this, but the dollar had a rebound here. I mean, it's right in the middle of this channel, nothing super important. CMY had a little pullback. Let me go the daily. Um, had a little bit of a pullback here. This is that seven mark that they let it appreciate over. It might test that and then go back up. Let's see. 10 year yield is just falling off a cliff. We did have an inversion of the two and 10. And uh, so that signals every single time that's happened, uh, it's been followed within a certain amount of months um, within a recession. So uh, that's a pretty, pretty big deal. Going back a hundred years. All right, oil making a nice rebound, touching this trend line. Uh, today, it looks like it had a pretty bad day, um, but I don't see this immediately going down. Uh, I think it actually could break up and, and oil could go higher. Um, gold, struggling right here in this area that I've been talking about for a, a while here. This is some resistance from way back in 2000. And 11, 2012, um, touched this area almost exactly with these wicks over here. I don't know if you guys can see that. So it touched almost exactly with these wicks. And that's where I was calling some resistance on gold. Um, again, nothing goes up in a straight line. This is a pretty parabolic move. So we'll probably see something that makes gold come back down again. Uh, but we'll have to have to wait and see on that. Okay, real quick with... Uh, Ethereum, big time breakdown here. Let's look. The, they got their hopes up with this little altcoin season that they had right here, <laughs> but it, it did turn back around and it, it looks like it's going down. If you look at the U.S. dollar price of Ethereum, it looks atrocious. Um, it's breaking any trend line you can draw. It's breaking except for this one that's coming from more recently like a couple months ago but the the very old ones for ethereum's price like this one goes all the way back to 2016 and it's coming up like this and it broke it so um i think ethereum's price is going much lower and this is my fits into what i talked about uh again on discord the other day was that um i think the crash here in bitcoin is actually again good for <laughs> bleeding the altcoins um, because they didn't keep up with Bitcoin, uh, and now Bitcoin can go down, and they will follow Bitcoin down. So it, they're just going to bleed doubly bad. 
All right, let me, did I leave, yep, I left the chat up this time. Let me take a look at the chat. Yeah, Josh, I saw all of the red global indices today. It looked really bad. Randy, I'm not sure about the uh, September versus December uh, discrepancy on CME. Oh, time frames posted in chat. Uh, probably on Discord. I can't bring that up right at the second. Chart is too high. Oh, it was too high. Fuck. What's up, Brady? <laughs> All right. Let's. Should we jump into the Vinny stuff? I have that queued up. Anything else from the chat? I think price testing 9,000 is likely. Yes, I agree. Um, I think 10,000 might actually act as a little bit of support this time. Um, we'll see. And, but it could go down. Could go down to that 8,500. You know, I've been saying it for a long time, and I actually finally gave up on it, and then it crashed. Oh, my God. So, yeah, that 8,500 looks like uh, – I think that would be the sweet spot. All right. Anyway – Let's pull this up. So, oh, um, so this was by this pre the I am underscore pre the on Twitter, and she runs this true story platform. I don't know. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, well, it's supposed to be for moderated discussion, right? And she had this tweet storm earlier this year about how she's making it into creating a safe space to debate. Um, so right there, that just tells you exactly what you need to know about her. Uh, and this is what I had to say to her back then. Um, but anyway, so this is Vinny and uh, Dan Held. Uh, Preethe is supposed to be kind of moderating, I guess, but uh, it's interesting. I wanted to just throw out a few things I th thought were interesting beforehand. Um, that it's it, okay. So this is going to be a classic debate to smear free markets, right? Just smear market economies. And I have to assume Vinny knows better. He's a, he's a, I, in my opinion, he's a no scammer. Um, but, uh, it, it's funny because the aggressive, toxic Bitcoin maximalist in this video is the one that's calm, always calm, never raises his voice, always calm, uh, speaks, you know, smooth and very calmly. Uh, answers almost any question. I mean, he wants to answer questions with uh, some explanation, but he answers it nice and calmly where Vinny is like getting all frustrated and uh, interrupting and stuff. And, and of course, he's the multi-coiner. Literally, he ha he's he's a partner at Multicoin Capital and he's a scammer straight up with the, the Civic token. So um, it, it's funny the juxtaposition of these two people talking. Um. All right, but enough about that. Let's just play a few things and react. Cool, awesome. Um, so let's just get into it. So I tweeted this morning about kind of what I found as a facts with Bitcoin wealth disparity. And what I discovered based on the data that we have is that about 2% of addresses own 80% of the wealth. And I think that's a problem and I think it's worth talking about. And so I know Vinny also has a strong point of view on why he thinks this is a problem. So 
before we even get into all that, I want to give Vinny a chance because Vinny was actually the first person that brought this idea up to me of even debating this topic because I think he he's been ta- he's been kind of observing this uh, phenomena happen and want to bring it up. And so, Vinny, I want to give you a chance to kind of talk about why you felt compelled enough to want to debate this and why you think it's a problem. Okay, so income disparity. This is talking about uh, one, some of her tweets or something. <laughs> yeah, Dan Parker. Vinny sell at a thousand. I I think yeah, it was under a thousand. Um Yeah, man, he lost a lot of people money there. Scammer. Look, I I I I'm a bit of a you know, truth seeker, so I like to see what is the truth seeker. What yeah. is the, the, you know, the emotions around the situation. I think this Bitcoin's a very emotionally charged um topic, right? A lot of people, you know, have their visceral feelings about uh what Bitcoin is, what it does and um, you know, what the future holds. And, you know, and I know a lot of these people, I go to these conferences, I've been in the industry for a while. I know people have been in very, very long periods of time and seen the ups and downs like I have myself. And, and I like to look on the horizon and see what's, what's going on and where are we going with this. And, you know, I've had some concerns around scaling for a couple of years. This is well known. Uh, I see a very big Bitcoin bull and then I got concerned about scaling and some other issues. And, and, you know, it is what it is. Bitcoin keeps going and that's fine. But, but as a society, we should, we should not lose sight of, what the end goal was, and at least when I got into Bitcoin, and whether we can still get there. So I'll, I'll start by by throwing out, and I, I like using extrapolation as a way of solving. You know, it's like extrapolating, you know, points in time and values really gets you to understand um, and solve problems. So if you did the Monty Hall problem, for example, extrapolation actually helps you solve that problem by looking at really large numbers. So, so Dan, I'll throw this out to you: if the price of Bitcoin magically leapt to $10 million a coin today, do you think the world would have a problem? Okay, before uh, I let Dan <laughs> go here, um, I think it's funny he said he's a truth seeker, right? Vinny is supposed to be a truth seeker, but he wants to deal in extra, you know, uh, extrapolations and co- complete hypotheticals. So... I mean, I understand how some hypothetical reasoning can help you, but, uh, I mean, this is an empirical thing and you're asking like an impossible question. So, um, I just thought it was funny how he said truth seeker and then he said that he wants to extrapolate. Okay. I think first we need to define the problem itself. So the Gini coefficient was created to look at income inequality for countries. And that's important because in countries, when the income becomes highly unequal, those individuals with that money can exercise what we hypothesize to be large amounts of power. So I wanted to first define that as, as what we're concerned about, right? Or am I, am I, interp- am I interpreting? No, that's, that's fair enough. But let's, let's just at least start with some numbers, okay? So, so how many people do you think in the world own Bitcoin today, either directly or through an exchange account and an address? Man, Vinny just totally skipped over that. He didn't want to talk about that for a second. I mean, obviously, that is the whole point here, is to say that these people are going to exert power um, over political means or political things in the future. And that would be the whole reason why it would be bad. Um, And I I thought it was very important that he brought up the uh, Gini coefficient and stuff. So, um, yeah, but Vinny just totally... Flew right past that to, hey, let's throw out some numbers. Let's not extrapolate. 
let's actually let's actually look at some hard numbers right here, but let's not extrapolate. How, what do you think the number is today? Let's throw out a random number that I think is probably popular: fifty million. Okay, so that's that's less than uh, less than one percent of the world population, right? Sure. Okay, so if the price of Bitcoin was magically ten million dollars today, do you think we would have a problem? Well, again, we need to we need to define what the problem is or what the objective of income equality should be. Like, what what is the proper threshold? Oh, but, but, but let's start with that. Okay, the, the narrow money supply in the world today is twenty eight trillion dollars, right? If the if the Bitcoin price today moved up to ten million dollars a coin, the Bitcoin the, the you know the total value of Bitcoins would be one hundred eighty trillion, which would be six times the narrow money supply of the world today, right? And six times that being held by two percent. No, sorry, uh, what, what, less than one percent of the population. Do you think this would lead to a breakdown in society as it stands right now? Okay, um, I just. <sighs> I wouldn't have let him get away with that first point. Um, and Dan could have said, you know, like, I I think that's impossible that less than 1% of the, of the population is going to own 97% of the value. And he could have just said, I think that's impossible. I'd like to talk about likely scenarios. Like, I think that's not at all likely. It's very impossible. Why do we even need to discuss this? Um, let's get it back into reality here because then that just cutting it off right there, Vinny wouldn't have been able to go into further and further extrapolations, but okay, let's continue. Do you, do you, I, I, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to extrapolate large numbers so we can get to understand. What's it's, not that a simple, it's not a simple yes or no question. We first have to define what is fair or what is objectively good or equal in a capitalist system. Money is risked on different entrepreneurial endeavors. And the individuals who risk that capital to invest in something are rewarded for it. We see this across VC, which you're, I know you're a big VC investor. You know, with the VC sector, we see very, very small numbers of individuals that are angels or accredited investors that have access to uh, venture capital investments. So right. I think also, again, um, Dan does it. He does a very good job pointing out that to answer Vinny's question, then that you would need to discuss about fairness. And because he said, is that good for humanity or human society? And uh, Dan was very right on. But then he went and discussed it in terms of ROI. Um, I think that's good knowing his audience here was Vinny, uh, but the lay audience is not going to understand that. I think you have to go in and say, Hey, look, you know, you have to have markets. Um, markets are going to do X, Y, Z, and you make money from producing and to keep your wealth, you need to produce more than you consume, um, or produce at the same amount as you consume. And then to get more wealth, you have to, um, produce more than you consume, but you can't just do nothing and keep your money. That's not how it works. Um, now in today's society, when we don't have a market economy, we have a socialist economy or planned economy. Um, then yes, you can keep your wealth going because you just lobby the right people and yada, yada, yada. You don't have to have any productive um, production in your life. You can just, you know, suckle off the teat and, and keep your wealth that way. But even in those scenarios, most very wealthy families 
don't continue. Um, the reason why we know the Rothschilds and the uh, Rockefellers and things is because they've actually are the rare ones that have been able to keep their wealth for multiple generations. The Rothschilds, a little bit longer, I think, isn't like 250 years or something that the Rothschilds have been uh, able to keep their money. But uh, the Rockefellers, I mean, that's only been 100 years, maybe 150. And so, uh, like, it, those are the very, very rare cases. And most of the time, people lose their money. I, I, what's the common stat? Is like three generations. Three generations and you spend a fortune. It's the entire fortune. So uh, let me take a look at the chat. Uh, Randy, yes, Vinny does. Well, no, he doesn't want to redistribute your Bitcoins. Um, he wants to FUD Bitcoin so that he can accumulate or he wants to pump his civic token so he can dump on your your face and and then buy bitcoin with it so no uh vinny is just a straight up liar here i think um i don't know if he's so much of a socialist honestly uh i think he's just a liar and a scammer first off scammers like uh market economies um, because there's a lot of dummies out there in the world and they can fool them. Um, and they're usually slick talkers or, you know, they have some shtick like Vinny does being on the shark tank over there in uh, um, South Africa. So, um, you know, they usually have some shtick like that that they can put their reputation on and then they can say whatever crazy shit they want and they can sell whatever crazy shit they want. Oh, and then it turned out bad. Oh, well, you know, he, he wants this capitalism because, um, uh, yeah, he can just get ahead by lying to people and selling uh, civic tokens and stuff and getting ahead that way. Um, I don't think he actually wants socialism. There, uh, Jeff says there's already wealth inequality, at least uh, with Bitcoin. <clears throat> they can lose it if they act stupid. Exactly. The problem is um, Bitcoin is if Bitcoin's worth 10 million would be USD hyperinflation. Um, yeah. Yeah. And hopefully it kind of goes like it is now, right? That it kind of slowly goes the whole way in these waves and people can slowly adopt Bitcoin and there's not some massive crash, um, but there likely will be. There likely will be. Okay. Any other comments from chat? Trying to balance these things here. Okay. Let's go. The, 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 sorry to interrupt you, but I, I, I'm not trying. I'm, I'm, I'm asking. Interrupting. Do you, yes. do, you, do you see an issue if at any point in time in the world we live in with 7 billion people, if one-seventh of the wealth in the world set with less than 1% of the population, do you think that would be a healthy thing regardless of how they ended or not? I think it's not really a good hypothetical situation because in every single boom bust cycle we've seen in Bitcoin, the number of hodlers. Impossible situation. I don't even want to discuss that. Why are we focusing on an impossible situation? Grow. So the number of participants in the network grow. That's not but the question. That's not the question. It's, a, it's not really a, a question you can ask. You can't come up with a hypothetical that says the number of hodlers remain the same with the value 6x is because when we look at on-chain data, for example, the unchanged capital analysis of HODL waves, we see that the UTXO set becomes more and more dispersed over time 
through these market cycles. Okay, okay. So, 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 so your argument is time fixes the, the problem I'm describing. What I'm saying is that humans will act like humans. When humans see their wealth... No, Vinny. There is no problem that you're describing. You're, you're, you, you think you've discovered some amazing problem. There is no freaking problem. You've made up this scenario. Like, what if I just said, like, what are we going to do about the quadrillion locusts that are coming here right now? It's going to eat everything. You know, they're going to eat babies out of their beds. They're going to eat all our crops. You know, what are we going to do about these quadrillion locusts that are coming? Why would anyone even entertain that silly ass notion? Is exactly what he's doing. And but Dan is keeping his cool like like you know cool cucumber or whatever the saying is. Uh, so I I applaud Dan for being able to do this and represent toxic maximalists this way because I know I would. Uh, well, whatever. I've I've seen this video already, so I'm I'm have the benefit of thinking about this for a few hours. Appreciate. They often then go spend it on things. Uh, that, that, that's not what I said, though. So I'm trying to I'm trying to take a snapshot point in time. Okay. okay and I'm saying maybe maybe a better way to do this is even if, let's say it's not Bitcoin. Let's say it's any other asset class, like with gold, right? Like if that scenario happened with gold, um, is that bad? I think is the question that Vinny's trying to get at. Yes. Yeah, I mean, we certainly use gold, and I've never heard of anyone. We use gold as a store of value, and I've never heard anyone worry about the Gini coefficient of gold's distribution early on, right? Um, neither have I heard it for any other asset class. Typically, we use the Gini coefficient to measure income inequality for countries because the income inequality in countries means people can buy political power. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not using – so the Gini coefficient is – like I, I'm from South Africa, which is the worst, highest Gini coefficient in the world. That's true. Uh, South Africa was the worst Gini coefficient. They had the most inequality in income in the world uh, until just maybe 10, 15 years ago. So, and he's definitely had experience with that. So that might have shaped some of his worldviews, right, uh, around this whole idea. Um, Dan had a great point there about um, that he's never seen this being discussed about any other asset class. None. It's it's just about like GDP and general income. So um, anyway, anyone who knows how that looks is a South African, right? Who's uh, who's been both you know privileged and underprivileged as born in apartheid. So I, I can tell you now, I've seen both sides of the coin. There, what, what I'm there, what I'm asking you is, and, and whether we met, like forget the forget what it is, forget whether it's Bitcoin, gold, as Peter said, if the wealth in the world suddenly magically today was concentrated in the hands of less than 1% of the population. And we talk about one-seventh of the wealth of the world. Would you think that it would be good or bad for humanity as a species? Well, ignoring, I mean, we're ignoring quite a few different things in this scenario. But if we want to brush that aside and go for the emotional appeal, yeah. which is how would we feel, how would we feel hypothetically in a, I would not consider a realistic scenario that the wealth gets so highly concentrated. Um, you know, with with Bitcoin, Bitcoin's much more different than any of the other asset class that ever existed. With Bitcoin's proof of work function, the only way to acquire a Bitcoin is either to mine it or to buy it. There was no free lunch. And I think that's an important distinction versus other asset classes. And it wasn't re it wasn't acquired through uh, you know force. It wasn't reappropriated. 
Bitcoin was earned. I, I, I'd, I'd love to go back to that topic, but you're still deviating from the question, right? Because, yeah. no, no, because what, so you, so, so, okay. So I'll, I'll put my question back on hold and let's go to your, your point. So the point that you're making then is that at the starting point. So nice of you, Vinny. You, you won't answer my hypothetical impossible question about the locusts. So I'm going to go on to my next thing. Yeah, great, great job, Vinny. Point where Satoshi announced it to the world, the entire world got a, a text message on their phone saying you can start mining Bitcoin today. But and everyone had equal fair opportunity because they were all plugged into the message boards that Satoshi broadcast the, the white paper and the Bitcoin code to. And everyone had equal amount of technical skills, financial ability to buy hardware and mine coins. Is that what you're saying? It was fair. I'm saying it was fair because from a marketing standpoint, which working on writer growth and growth marketing teams at Uber, understanding how you message a product is critical. And Satoshi was a brilliant go-to-market strategist. So who cared about Bitcoin? Who cared about cryptocurrency? You know, I, back in that day, back in 2010, I didn't care. 20, 2009, when he published the code, 2008, when he published the white paper, you know, who would, who would really be able to grok that message? Did you, did, you, did you hear about it the day you announced it? No, because the cryptographer mailing list was the only messaging board that really gave any, you know, would really care. No, so an exclusive group of intelligentsia had access to this, right? Uh, no, because he announced it there and then published the code for anyone to download and start mining day one, January, two, January 9th, 2009. And he gave a two month heads up with the white paper so people could be aware. Now, these are the, the exact individuals who would be interested in this sort of technology. If they had posted it on my Facebook wall, I would have been like, what the heck is this scam? You know, back in 2009, 2010, right? Okay, so let's go to the chat. That was a good long clip. They're just trying to figure out this. I mean, I think Dan did a good job there um, saying, okay, in this – in the feels, if we're worried about feels and looking good and virtue signaling, he didn't say all of that, but, um, you know, he kind of put his finger on the pulse there a little bit. Let's see. Um, Josh says, uh, how does it magically become $10 million without $10 million without increasing the number of people holding it? Exactly. I mean, it's an impossible argument. Um, Randy, nobody knows how much gold the Vatican is holding or the royal family. I guess not. Um, I guess that's true, too. Who knows? These wealthy Bitcoiners uh, will build companies. That's that's a very good point. They're going to risk their capital. So even though they have accumulated this money early on, um, and I don't know if Dan has said it yet, uh, he says it. Uh, in here somewhere about the bitcoiners that he knew early holders you know they sell they've they've been selling um periodically because you know they want they need that money or they want to live their life um they want to fulfill their consumption wants and needs maybe so um yeah it's of course that's that's going to happen and when you build company you risk your capital right what if you want to be an angel investor and then you invest in things like multicoin capital no um or civic token you're you're risking it out there and you, most of the time you lose and a few people a few people 
that do once again they do a good job of speculating so the people that have a lot of money a lot of bitcoins they did a good job speculating that's how they got the money that they have the the market rewarded them for making the proper decisions and the market will penalize them for making the improper decisions in the future but it will also continue to reward them for making good decisions so uh or good speculations, I guess, good kind of educated guesses. That's the role of the entrepreneur. And this this money will slowly get whittled away from people. Um, if you look back uh, in 200 years, probably none of those like families of the very first people that were mining and the first whales of Bitcoin will still have their Bitcoin. I'm, I'm guessing they probably won't. Um, so it does, the market will distribute it. Um, markets, market economies are, this is an important point that, you know, we're often told that it's a choice between equality of opportunity or equality of outcome and libertarians or anarchists or whatever, they want equality of opportunity and socialists want equality of outcome. But that is a false dichotomy because market economies give you both. Market economies not only are built around the equality of opportunity, but it also ends in the most egalitarian way of any system. It's a false dichotomy that there, there's these two choices, uh, opportunity or outcome. And so I just want to point that out. Let's see what else we have. Uh, <laughs> Brady says, yeah, exclusive intelligentsia. Ah, I don't know, man. I'm glad that the cypherpunks got the first uh, crack at this. I mean, this is a, that is what it is, right? It's a, a something born out of the cypherpunks. And not, I mean, Bitcoin, yes, was dropped uh, in what? Uh, Halloween in 2008 uh, on the cryptography mailing list. But these things had been tried many, many, many times. It's not like, Satoshi came out of zero background and dropped this on the one mailing list that was interested in this kind of thing. No, these same dudes have been working on several famous attempts in the past, right? And it had been predicted by Milton Friedman and um, who else? Uh, the Sovereign Individual and a, a bunch of other sources have predicted this. So if you were uh, very insightful and you were, you know, a great entrepreneur at that time, you would see that this was coming and you would put yourself in those places to find out about this and, and capitalize on it. Bitcoin did not just jump out of the blue. Bitcoin was not the first. And I hate when people say that Bitcoin was the first. It was not the first. It was like probably the, what? You have, what was Shom, uh, David Shams? thing. No, I can't remember the name. Uh, Digicash. And then you have Bitgold and you have B-Money and you have um, even PayPal wanted to do something like that. You have E-Gold. You have all of these things building up to Bitcoin. Uh, of course, Hashcash and some other things. So yeah, it didn't jump out of the blue. That is a ridiculous statement. Ridiculous. Randy, you said Dan subtly called the whole thing a, a logical fallacy. Yeah, I agree. He did a good job, but, you know, I wish he just would have been a little bit more forceful. 
but he was convincing. I mean, his whole aura, um, I've never met him. I think some of you guys have interviewed him, um, but, uh, you know, his, that's his whole personality. Apparently that's, that's what I see is very calm and calculated, um, uh, good dude. Okay. I'm going to continue with this and we'll wrap it up shortly. Cause I think that it only goes 10 or 20 minutes. Uh, so I'll let some of these run. Okay. Okay, so, 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 so it's fair from that point. So they're really the smartest, most tuned in people to the way society needs to move and evolve. Yes. an early head start on Bitcoin, and that's yes. fair, would you say? In a spectrum of fair, it was the most fair launch you could conceptualize. And what's oh. even more important about it... Sorry, I got to jump in. How could that not be fair? Like, this goes back to what Dan was saying in the beginning. How, describe fairness. Is that Bitcoin had no value for a year and a half. That's why, uh, you know, Jeff Garzik, or I forget if it was Jeff or Gavin, had a faucet. I wasn't that early, so I don't remember this. But from what I've heard, Gavin or Jeff had a faucet that gave away free Bitcoins. Okay. Um, so are you just, I guess just to clarify, Dan, are you saying that, like, you, we can't defy nature and this is just this is just how it is? It, it was a fair distribution and this is how we're ending up and there's no way to fix it um, if that happens? Well, first I've asked for a de- Okay. Before Dan answers this, uh, Preeti, it's not defying nature. What you're describing is central planning. You're describing socialism and redistribution. So the question you just asked him was, so what, we're supposed to believe that uh, socialism doesn't work, that, you know, um, making decisions at the barrel of a gun doesn't work? Like, oh my God, that's is that what you're actually saying, Dan? This chick. Definition of fair. And I haven't really gotten that yet. Um, and the world really isn't fair in that sense that everyone has the same opportunities. We I... all were born and we we landed randomly in certain roles and we had certain opportunities that we took advantage of. You know, we can't go simultaneously to 7 billion people across the planet with each opportunity that presents itself for each asset and each investment ever made. And I think that's a little bit unrealistic to expect so, that for cryptocurrency. You can be an end state for 2050, right? In 2050, there's... Let's gloss over that. Let's gloss over that. Give me an end state. 10 billion people on Earth, according to Hans Rosling. What do you think the distribution of Bitcoins looked like? What do you think uh, the wealth distribution looks like at that point? I mean, I I can't really hypothesize. How many coins does Satoshi still have, do you think? Well, we don't know exactly how many coins Satoshi has because we use the extra nonce fingerprinting of his mining activities to hypothesize a number that we think is Satoshi's, but uh, that number is between 700 and 1 million coins, but that's hypothetical. We don't actually know that. Sure. It could have been any early miner. So, so but if you look at the, the early coins, it's at least, you know, two or three million coins sitting in the hands of a very few number of people, right? Like a, a handful of people, maybe a couple of hundred, right? Yeah, they spent the proof-of-work energy to mine those coins before they were worth anything. Fair enough. So they made a really great investment, right? It's like buying Manhattan back in the 1600s. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, and, and Manhattan is still owned by, you know, the people, oh, they, no, sorry, people bought it, don't own it anymore. That's right. Um, <laughs> the P, so, so. What a little, oh man, what a sleaze bag. Let's get to 2050, okay? So you've got these coins, and let's assume 3 million coins haven't moved, and they're still in the hands of a few hundred people. So, and let's assume that, you know, hyper-Bitcoinization actually happens and the whole world's running in Bitcoin. We then have 15% of the world's wealth in the hands of a few hundred people. How, how much power do those people have to influence the world? 
Well, again, um, through each wave, through each market cycle, we have on-chain data, again, via Unchained Capital did a great analysis of this. Uh, Drew Bansall, who has, I think, a PhD in physics, uh, did this analysis, which was phenomenal. I've seen it. That's good. But it really applies to, to, to aged coins. So coins are- right. We, we look at the geological evidence of, of how, how coins have moved through time. And I think what's what we see is really interesting as these market as the price of Bitcoin goes up and down, we see the incentive for the old hodlers to move their coins to go sell them. We are humans after all. We have needs, we have wants. When my purchasing power, when my wealth increases 10x, well, I might go buy a car or I might go buy a house. But you spend less of it as a percentage as it goes up, right? So the market sure, but- need to move go down. Uh, yeah, it depends on if you believe in it or hodl the whole way. I find very few early hodlers who actually hodled the whole way. I know, I can't name them, but I know some extremely popular or really well-known people in the space that have sold everything at $10 or $100 because they bought it at a dollar and they 10x their money. I mean, the, the risk back then was enormous. And Vinny, you know this, the risk with Mt. Gox, the risk with like private key management, um, not many people no, no, out of the whole way. Your arguments are good. Your arguments that, that capitalism is good. I, I buy into that. Like I, I'm fully on board with you on the capitalist side of this. Like people should get a return. The point I'm trying to get to is what what, what do you think the end state is? Okay, let me let me ask you this question. In an ideal world, that wasn't his original question though, right? It was his original question was, don't you think it's bad that? you know, all of these early Bitcoiners are going to continue to have money um, and all this wealth is going to be so unevenly distributed. Don't you think that's bad? Now it's what do you think the end state is? Um, so he's he's flip-flopping a little bit. I know that he mentioned it a couple minutes ago, but um, yeah, it's he's not sticking to the same thing. He's completely changing his, his line of reasoning and questioning. Well, What's the most wealth of the world that a single person should own? That's a really good question. It's a great question. I'm not sure if I'm qualified to, to adequately answer that. <laughs> okay. Um, fair enough. So then do you think at least that we can do better? Okay. So the traditional finance system already. Wait, in before socialist rant or SJW something sees the same effect, right? Like wealth is highly concentrated. And if we're moving towards the sim- a similar system with Bitcoin, do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? Well, to be clear, let's say, let's use Satoshi's coins as a hypothetical example of um, a large amount of wealth being owned by a certain, indiv- certain individual. 5% is far less than most equity distributions for startups. This is, this, is, this is money supply, this is global money supply. Sure. But you, you, can't, you can't compare the, the two, right? Global, global money supply is issued by central banks. We're trying so, to move to a world where we have decentralized power. Decentralized Satoshi took power. an astronomical risk that was far greater than any one company has ever done in the history of humankind. So should he, should he rule the world? No. And Satoshi made it pretty explicit that money doesn't really interest him. I use him because that's the... Okay. I'm going to check the chat here. Yeah, Randy says that there is... So much growth left in Bitcoin, a person that owns 0.2 BTC will be equivalent to a multimillionaire in the future. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe not multimillionaire as in, um, you know, $10 million for 
0.2 BTC, but I, I bet that'll be over a million um, in today's dollars. And in, in those dollars, I mean, uh, USD will be dead by then probably. So yeah, I agree. If Bitcoin moons without moving, <laughs> how does Bitcoin gain um, liquidity if it doesn't move? It, it's just such a stupid argument. Preeti worked for Coinbase. Yeah, that's. I think I remember that. Um, she came from Coinbase and then she launched this truth story. And it's funny. I was just watching the their, the live chat from, from the actual video. And she popped in there and said, I would love to get you guys over onto truth story to ask your questions instead of in this chat. Ask your questions in truth story. So she's just trying so hard to make this make her safe space worth something. <laughs> Vinny is hard to listen to, man. Yeah, he's trying to I mean, maybe this gets him in the, in the limelight a little bit and he can drop the name Civic Token a few more times and so that he can pump his thing. So maybe I am well, you guys aren't going to buy Civic and this is just for patrons. So I don't feel too guilty, but um, yeah, it might be just an excuse to get himself out there. He's still butthurt. Butthurt about what? About selling his coins at $900? <laughs> uh, he's made back more than that on Civic, I tell you. he's He has dumped those Civic tokens so many times. Anyway, okay. Uh, let's see. I might skip ahead a little bit here. Nobody bought Civic. <laughs> yeah, none of us did, but plenty of people did buy it, unfortunately. Okay, let's... Uh, so he's talking about, yes, Satoshi, and then they bring up Satoshi, and Satoshi's always going to be like one of these things. Uh, if Satoshi were a real person that is like Craig Wright or like Vitalik or something like that, then, of course, all of these attacks would be legitimate. So... Um, as you dive into the incentive structure and the the thoughtfulness early on of Satoshi, um, it gets to be superhuman almost. Um, and uh, Satoshi is going to continue to be brought up. And I hope one day that um, maybe you know, like on his di on his deathbed, he will burn the coins. Uh, that would be pretty cool. Uh, but whatever. Let's see. I'll skip ahead a little bit. See what they're talking about problem is the data here is very hard to calculate. The only way to do this would be to have like tax software. If you had tax software and you were able to look at someone's entire portfolio and you could look across all those different participants in your with your tax software, you might be able to calculate something like this. Even if like even if you adjust for like the exchanges and the miner the mining pools etc like I think like you're going to still find that it's highly concentrated. So we can't really deny the fact that it's completely well, I also wanted to say here that um, I don't think that it's only 50 million. Um, I saw some statistic. I think Alistair Milne, I think that's his name there on Twitter. He follows how many accounts Coinbase has. And I think they just passed 100 million. Coinbase passed 100 million. So if Coinbase alone has 100 million, um, you know, Bifinex has 100 million. Bit, uh, Bitmex has a hundred million. Um, probably Binance has a hundred million. So uh, a lot of these might be 
you know, say there's a 50% overlap, but we're talking at least 100 million, if not 200 million people currently own Bitcoin. Um, so uh, I think that was just a very low ball number there um, on 50 million. And I've, I've said in the past, I think that this next bull wave, we're going to see a quarter of a million to, or sorry, quarter of a billion to half a billion people come into Bitcoin. So that's uh, a lot of uh, buyers and a lot of distribution that's going to happen. Um, okay. Like fair, right? Like, I think we can all agree that there's not, it's not a fair distribution right now, right? I would push back on that because like I mentioned before, the launch was as fair as it could be. And second, we don't have any data to prove that it's... The launch was fair, but sorry, that's the wrong question. Of course it's fair. People can buy it if they want it. People can sell it if they want to. Um, of course it's fair. How how else could it be different? Right? She's advocating central planning here. The concentration is not there right now. Well, we don't know if it is or not, but we hypothesize it might be. Okay. What do you mean you don't know if it's, it is or not? Like, what is the upper limit of, of the number of people in the world that own Bitcoin today? You know, you said 50 million, probably a good number. And that's why I said, if we were going to evaluate Bitcoin on these parameters, we should also look at other asset classes. And that would be the only fair way to look at oh, it. Oh, no, I agree. I agree. Fair enough. So how, do, how do you think Bitcoin compares to, let's say, like gold or any other, whatever asset class you want to compare it to? I actually spent some time trying to look at gold ownership. It's super tough. Uh, there aren't a lot of metrics to quantify how many gold participants there are in the in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, I would say it's probably a bit more than Bitcoin, but maybe not as much. Um, you know, how is that gold distributed? I'm not sure. You know, yeah. the, again, the data is the problem here. We don't have. A lot wait, 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 when you say not as much, are you trying to say this? I mean, my view of understanding gold is there are probably hundreds of millions, if not billions, of people who have gold out there right now today. I tried to research the numbers, and it was super tough to find U.S. Uh, owners. No, 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 I'm not talking about U.S. I'm talking about global, global, global wealth. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it's in the hundreds of millions, if not billions. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's super tough to calculate that, right? Yeah, but that's not monetary gold, right? That is jewelry. And uh, monetary gold is probably only in the hands of, yeah, on, on the same order, probably 100 million 200 million people own any monetary gold. I think in the U.S. there are some statistics. Um, Dan, pro they probably didn't meet Dan's uh, stricter standards than I have, but I think uh, uh, it was like 2 or 3% of U.S. citizens owned gold. Um, and that's even as part of their portfolio, right? That's not even physical gold. That's just some sort of gold, maybe the gold ETF or something like that. So um, uh, you can have some statistics in that way, but um, that it's just a crazy argument because Bitcoin is a hyper-monetizing asset and gold is a demonetizing asset. So of course, in a demonetizing asset, you're going to have consolidation, at least in the monetary side of the equation. On the other side, like jewelry or use cases, actually, you're going to have a more distributed supply so or ownership. So like gold jewelry will be cheaper, so people will buy more of it. Um, gold uh, will be cheaper to use in more electronics and, and so on. So uh, as a good gets demonetized, um, the monetary asset or the monetary side of the asset gets very concentrated 
um, but the other side, the use case, actually gets distributed. But anyway, let's uh, go on. The physical ownership of gold is often done with cash or, or transacted with cash, and it's hard to really track. So so would you argue that gold is more distributed or less distributed than Bitcoin? Because you're, you're not you're, you're not 50 million people for Bitcoin. Yeah, gold more distributed um, You know, in its yeah. lifetime as a money. It's had a lot longer than Bitcoin. So we might see similar distribution for Bitcoin in a much we, we might, time. we might. So, so, so based upon the data and... Just cuts them off. God, I can't even stand to watch Vinny. Somebody said they want to watch Preeti in a chat. So I'll fast forward to her part. She, you know, I think she was at a bank too before Coinbase. So she was, um, I don't know if it's JP Morgan or goldman or something but she came from one of the big banks and then she went to coinbase and now she's doing this startup and it's just i can't believe that she had those jobs right um i can't believe that those type of jobs produce people that are so uh unaware of economics but anyway straw man argument here just kind of popping it up it's not it's not we're just trying to say like okay if that happens is it bad yes so now the next part, Vinny, go ahead. Okay, so, so can, can we at least agree that that would be bad? I would disagree as well with that. So, you, that... You, so you're entirely comfortable with, with 1% of the world population owning uh, six-sevenths of the world's wealth? What I'm saying is I'm a capitalist, and for someone to determine who owns what, I'm not in the position to dictate that. Now, in a socialist system, we're, we could do that. We could go define who should own what. Okay, 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 okay. I'll take it back. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, 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 uh, whoa, don't call me socialist. Don't call me socialist now. Um, yeah, but uh, they, they get into this capitalism, and I think I remember them using it here over the next little bit multiple times. Um, and I don't like the word capitalism <laughs> because uh, I was discussing with – a Bitcoin friend who was a socialist and he was a pretty hardcore socialist. He was more like a, uh, what would you call those? Not a and cap, but a anarcho socialist, I guess. And, uh, so that's what he kind of was and what he liked Bitcoin for a very cool guy. And we had multiple discussions and his thing, when I tried to talk about capitalism, uh, he's like, that's not what capitalism means. And he wanted to describe capitalism as crony capitalism. And I was like, yeah, but that's not what it means. And he's like, but that is the colloquial use of it. Um, that is what everybody knows capitalism as. So it's as good as that. And I, I do think that. I think that, um, you know, we could spend so much time trying to get the original uh, meaning of the word back, just like liberal. Now liberal means a... Uh, big government uh, social program type person, SJW type, um, into the progressives and things. So you have this liberal, but it used to be a classical liberal where you believed in freedom and liberty, but that that has gone by the wayside so much that we have to use the term libertarian, and that kind of uh, might have defeated that movement in a way because then they can isolate you and... Um, can turn, you know, uh, stigmatize against you and, and whatever attack you because they've isolated you under this new term. But um, in this case, I wouldn't use capitalism. I would just use market, the market, market economy. Like I believe in a market economy. 
I believe in free markets. Um, and you don't even have to say free markets. You just say market economy because markets implies free markets. Um, the option, the other option is uh, interventionist economy or a socialist economy or a planned economy. Um, but when you talk about a market economy, you're talking about free markets. So, um, yeah, that's just a little nitpicky about the word usage. Um, do you guys want to go on? Um, it's more of the same, but I can always talk more of that. If you guys have any questions, you want me to take a look at other things? Um, Anarcho-communist. Yes, but he was not a communist. Um, he was a socialist. He did not want... Uh, anarch Does anarcho-communism make sense? Because communism is more like you need a state, right? Or no, is that the opposite? Uh, socialism would be the state. Communism would be without the state. Yeah, so maybe it was anarcho-communist uh, is what he was. But good guy to talk to. He was very minimalist in his life, which I match well with, I think. And um, good guy, but fell out with him several years ago. Never kept in contact with him. Uh, Gold, uh, Randy says, let me track back up here a little bit previous yeah that's i stopped on preview for you guys oh let me do that now <laughs> so it's just a little bit better maybe for you come on where are you okay maybe that's not a good shot but i'll try <laughs> capital flight from china will be huge um yes i think it will be but i don't think it's i don't know because Right now, the, the whole I, the whole thing is that fifty thousand a year can leave China. Um, it's just like the really big amounts that people need to buy Bitcoin for, um, and uh, and maybe to make it a little bit more simple, right? Um, but for for lesser amounts, it'll be a little bit more simple to buy Bitcoin and move it than maybe using the approved methods. But um, you can legally. At this time, as far as I know, take 50,000 equivalent out of China. So the only people that are, uh, think about it, if you're trying to move a million dollars worth of yuan or renminbi or whatever out of China, um, you're going to have schemes set up. And all those schemes are like the, the real estate schemes, the business schemes, the legal schemes, um, all of these things. And you don't need Bitcoin, and and Bitcoin isn't even liquid enough to get billions of dollars out of China. So, um, no, I think that capital flight. If you're talking right now, billions of dollars, Bitcoin is still not liquid enough for that. And if I were a billionaire trying to get billions of dollars of yuan or whatever out of China, I wouldn't use Bitcoin. Um, I would do one of those schemes. Um, of course, I would be, <laughs> I would have bought Bitcoin a lot earlier personally, but uh, I'm just saying if I'm putting myself in their shoes, I wouldn't buy Bitcoin because, you, you know, if you try to buy a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin, what's going to happen? I mean, it just can't take that yet, right? You can't even buy a billion dollars worth of currency, um, like the US dollar. Um, <laughs> so you can't really buy a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. It just, it just wouldn't work. So when, when you're talking about capital flight from China, I think you're talking about some uh, utility, gains in utility, making it a little bit easier for the small fish to get, uh, you know, a couple thousand bucks out or something. Um, but they can still do that legally. 
maybe there'll be hodlers. I don't know. Uh, but the big guys aren't going to be using Bitcoin, in my opinion. So let's see what else. Gold bugs and Bitcoiners have enough uh, common ground. I still don't understand what Schiff's issue is. I don't either. He's a salesman. That's probably the answer. Libertarian Party is controlled opposition. Yes, that's the term I was looking for. Thank you, Jeff. Controlled opposition. Just like the Tea Party. They tried to do that with the Tea Party. Um, you know, the Tea Party was a Ron Paul movement, and uh, they quickly turned it into some far right-wing thing, even though libertarian politics are not... Um, they're middle of the road, right? You have um, this anti-drug laws. Um, it's free uh, or Second Amendment supporting, um, non-interventionist. So uh, there is a small government. So there, there's both sides, conservative and liberal, have a meeting ground in the libertarians. But yes, the Tea Party was also pigeonholed, controlled opposition, made to be alt-right. When it wasn't. That's what we're dealing with here. I mean, it's very, very hard to make a movement that is going to be able to stand up against that because they can easily just infiltrate you, right? It's not Byzantine fault tolerant, um, th these types of things. Um, even if you want to go the education route and educate people um, about Bitcoin or about maybe morals or whatever you're wanting to do, then uh, that's still not Byzantine fault tolerant, right? So if, if you get a, even a, a modicum of success, then they're going to do the same thing except teach something different. And they're even going to claim to be part of your school or claim to be part of your lineage or whatever the case is. And they're just going to, I mean, it's a non, not never ending fight. So what you have to do is you have to defund them. If they can't pay for those people to infiltrate you, if they can't pay for their cops to or their IRS agents to take taxes, if they can't pay for their cops to arrest you for marijuana, they're not going to do it. That's the only way, in my mind, that is the only way to do it. Okay, uh, let's see. Um, Josh, I don't know. I think... Um, I think it's anarcho, no rulers, communist community group doesn't actually work because you can't really run a, a communal group without rulers. Now, I think the problem that they have with that is the hierarchy. People have this idea about hierarchy that, that communism means no hierarchy or anarchy means no hierarchy, which it doesn't. Of course, there's going to be a hierarchy. Um, it just means that you don't have to obey. So you don't you don't have to obey um, anybody's arbitrary rules. Um, it's more than no rulers, and that might be a bad, bad tagline. That might be a bad meme. the The meme should be that um, you know, get out of the way, stop messing with me, and leave me alone. I don't want to obey your stupid ass uh, rules. It's very good, like um, raising my boy, and uh, I know. Uh, several of you in here right now have kids. It is like he is two and a half and never does he listen to me. Never. I could suggest this, tell him to do this, tell him to do that. Never does he listen to me. The other day I was cutting his hair and 
you know, I was giving him the old buzz cut and stuff. And uh, it was, uh, he actually listened. I said, like, put your head down. And he put his head down and he was listening to me. And it was such a weird feeling. I thought, oh my God, he's being so good. He's being so well behaved because never does this. And so sometimes I try to trick him, you know, like um, he doesn't want to eat his food at the table. And so I say, hey, don't, uh, don't eat your food at the table. He sees right through that immediately. Of course they do. But um, I don't know. Some of these, how did I get on that? Something about narratives, um, something about memes, um, hierarchy, rulers. Oh, that it's it's natural in us to uh, be disobedient, uh, especially as a young person. And I, I, for a long time, I thought that that was why, you know, young people are more where the revolutions start. Um you know, like on college campuses or the young young adults are, they have less kind of built up in their life. And so they have less to lose. And so I thought that was why they did, they were always the most revolutionary. But uh, I also just recently learned that there is cognitive decline with age. And so uh, your peak of cognitive ability it usually is around 25 years old. Um, your quote unquote IQ, because I've been doing a lot of the IQ, reading a lot about IQ for um, some of the discussions we were having there on Discord, that IQ goes down with age, but it um, also, it's not specifically, like, it's not very easy to measure. But what it is, is you get, um, when you're younger, you can see more creative options. And so, um, like if they give you a hard problem, you can instantly see like all of the possible routes that you can go to get this. But as you get older, you might kind of still test the same on IQ maybe, but you um, have been down that path and you only see one option. This is what you, this is the right answer. And, and so uh, you avoid risk um, uh, more that way. Anyway, it's very interesting. Uh, let's see. Markets are driven by price. This is the fair way to allocate scarce resources. Of course, Randy, you're 100% correct. Um, the only other option is rationing uh, socialists and uh, socialist love rationing. Yes. Sorry, the print's really small. I'm having to squint here. Randy says, read Gulag Archipelago. I I've never read that. I will have to put that on Audible if it's on Audible. Just vote harder. Yeah, it's there. There's been some voting stuff recently coming up on um, Twitter on my Twitter thread. Of course, with the the elections and stuff coming up, and and the uh, debates and things getting going, the best the best thing is don't vote and buy Bitcoin and maybe some ammo and some water. <laughs> oh, I was thinking about. Uh, putting a page on the website for Bitcoin prepper tips, <laughs> like about your Bitcoins, but also about how to maybe what's the best security system to have, or, you know, always have a bug out plan and um, how to get out of the city fast or get away from people or, or um, I don't know, maybe OPSEC, like watch over your shoulder, never take the same route multiple you know, every single day for months, uh, stuff like that. I think that would be a practical guide, but that's a big task. <laughs> and 
I don't know if I have the time to do that. Okay, Bitcoin is injecting ethics back into money. No one can escape it. Um, I don't know about that, Randy, because uh, that's very hard to define. <laughs> that's kind of like one of the things we've been talking about over there on, on one of the other chat rooms on Discord. Um, ethics and morals. Uh, I think ethics are, I think they're they're ruled by the market. So they've kind of, maybe they've always been there. I don't know. But yeah, I can see your point. Okay, so what else you guys got? Should we take a look at the charts one more time before I peace out? Bye, Preeti. Your thing is never going to work. <laughs> okay. Uh-oh, I had a freeze. Come on, there we go. All right. Pushing down some more, under 10,000 right now on BitMEX. So we have seen four digits again. <laughs> people, people, people. Don't tweet that. Do not tweet that. Man, it's it's looking like it's going even lower. Let's look at some, oh, not that low time frame. <laughs> let's look at a minute chart. No, let's look at the hour chart here. It's pressing down again. Um, looks like it could be... Uh, bull div if this stops here on the hourly chart so we're probably getting close to a temporary bottom and a temporary bounce uh, on the charts four hour looks ugly ugly one more look at the chat what do you guys got josh asked if there's anything else worthy uh, in that video to watch i don't think so there might be one or two sentences but I don't know where they are. I didn't timestamp them. So um, we've we've finished the meat of it. The rest of it kind of goes similar. <laughs> Keep your powder and your hardware wallet dry. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a fun project to take on is a prepping guide for Bitcoin. But I have all these ideas and I just never have enough time to do them. So... Maybe I'll start a page and see you guys can, if you want to contribute, it would be open to contribution. I should do GitHub, but that's just another thing to worry about. So, all right, guys. Um, thank you for joining me. Uh, thank you for supporting the show. And I want to do these. I, I've been doing them weekly now, so that's good. Um, I want to do some good content uh, for you. So um, give me feedback. Feedback is always welcome and appreciated. So uh, that is all I have for tonight. Thank you. Peace out. Mm -hmm.